This Bible talk titled Model Grace is on 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 to 28. It's the seventh sermon in our series In Transit on 1 and 2 Thessalonians and it was given at Rabena on Sunday the 20th of November 2022. Friends, when we get to the end of one of Paul's letters, I think we have a tendency to read them all the same way. Even now, when Liza just read for us, it sounds very piecemeal, doesn't it? it? Sounds like there are a lot of disjointed ideas right at the end of his letter. As if Paul was kind of getting to the end, he'd thought about lots of things to write to them, he's quickly jotting down a whole bunch of different ideas before he ducks off down to Rabina Town Centre. Now, these, these kind of short and punchy sentences in the passage kind of reinforces that kind of thinking. But deep down, we know that's not right, is it? This is God's word to us. This isn't just kind of the random leftover bits that weren't included anywhere else. Especially, it needs to do a bit of hard work this morning to see how this all fits together and indeed how it relates to the whole rest of the letter. I think a big clue for us is in the prayer that Paul prays in verses 23 and 24. I wonder if you can read that with me. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. It's a prayer that actually reminds us of a whole bunch of stuff that he's already written in the other parts of the letter. It reminds us what God's will for us was. It was to be sanctified, to be holy, to be set apart. We saw that in chapter 4. Also reminds us of the coming of the Lord Jesus. We saw that last week, that the return of the Lord Jesus, the coming day of the Lord, it looms large in Paul's thinking. And he wanted the same to be true for his readers. But I've been really intrigued all week by that little phrase in verse 23. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Be kept is an unusual thing to say, isn't it? A lot of us would read that prayer and think, yeah, I'm going to keep myself blameless. But I wonder if Paul is actually subtly reminding us how we should live in the light of Jesus' return. We don't just keep ourselves blameless. It's more than that. We are kept God keeps us. It's kind of like the phrase, hold on. Someone might say, hold on to the end. But a Christian might say, be held on. We don't just grimly hold to the end, we are held too. And so it is here. Paul's prayer is that may our whole body, sorry, spirit and soul and body, that's all of us, be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And this idea, I think, is the idea that pervades this whole final section of the letter. It's not just this piecemeal collection of ideas. Paul is telling us how to live in the light of the return of our Lord. We know one day that Jesus will return. So how should we live? Well, be kept blameless. And we'll see this morning how that applies in a whole bunch of different situations. Firstly, in the passage, we see that Paul wants the church, us, to be kept together. 
The Christian life is not a life that we live alone. We live together in the light of the return of Jesus. So say it with me in verse 12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. See, God wants us to pay special attention to our church leaders. But it's very likely that at the time of writing, the church of the Thessalonians was incredibly small and it probably had no formal leadership. There was probably no minister, no pastor, no ministry team. So how were they to recognise who their leaders were? Would it be because they're wearing the same clothes? That is not true. Paul tells them there are three ways to identify a church leader. And it's nothing to do with someone's title or position or status. It's all there in verse 12. They are those who labour over us, those who are over us in the Lord, and those who admonish us. Let's take them one at a time. Paul's letter has had a lot to say about our work, about hard work, hard labour. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul prayed for them for their work of faith and their labour of love. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, on the screen behind me, For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul was concerned that the fledgling church of the Thessalonians may not have survived. For this reason, he said, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labour, our work, would be in vain. See, friends, God wants us to be kept together. And so a church leader works hard. Do you recognise anyone here like that? Someone among us who labours among us. I can think of a whole bunch of people. Not just the people that we automatically think of, pastors, the elders, but others who quietly labour and toil for the sake of the gospel and, friends, for the sake of you. How else can we recognise these kind of people? Well, they are people who are over us in the Lord. It's kind of a bit of an unfortunate translation. It kind of sounds authoritarian and and top-down, but it simply means one who is set before, one who manages, one who is devoted. We could say one who cares. Now, I'm sure we know people like that. We are kept blameless when people around us lead us and manage us and care well for us. And again, I know there's a whole bunch of people here at Salt Church who do exactly that, who care and lead among us. And finally, in verse 12, who are the leaders? They are those who admonish you. Now, who who here likes to be admonished? None of us, do we? We're, We're full of pride. We don't like that sort of thing. But Paul is clear Those who lead admonish, they warn, they correct, they instruct. 
that means that they're the kind of people who are prepared to have sometimes uncomfortable conversations with us. They're the kind of people among us who are concerned for our holiness. They are people who love us. And so they will do anything they can to have us standing next to them at the coming of the Lord Jesus. They admonish not for their sake, to puff themselves up, to feel good about themselves, but for our sake. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone here at Salt Church who takes the time to get to know you, to pull alongside you, but every now and then to correct and rebuke and admonish when necessary? Because, friends, that's real leadership, isn't it? That's what God has in mind when he thinks of church leaders. Don't just think of people with a title. Don't just think of our pastors. Don't just think of our ministry team. But all of us should be like this, working hard, caring well, admonishing. A whole bunch of people are on board with us doing that because God wants us to be kept blameless. So we thought a bit about these kind of the leaders that we have with us, but how should we actually respond to these leaders? Again, in that that short verse, notice three things. Verse 12 again, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. He's calling us to respect We're to esteem them very highly in love and we're to be at peace. So how do you reckon you are going in responding to those who are at work among us? What's your kind of general disposition to those who lead? Is it to grumble and complain and whinge? Or is it to respect? Is it high esteem pursuing peace? Is it your default position to assume the worst about someone, to impute motives, to slander and gripe? Or is it to show love and care for those who are working hard at caring for you? See, friends, we do this Christian life together. Together we are living in the light of the return of the Lord Jesus Together we are living in the day, as we saw last week. So let's be kept blameless in these things. Now Paul goes on and he continues this idea and he considers what our relationships should look like amongst God's people. See verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good for one another and to everyone. And friends, this is something that is for all of us to do, not just our leaders. We're to admonish the idle. We're supposed to warn one another. Literally, it means warn the undisciplined. We're supposed to encourage the faint-hearted. We're supposed to encourage the timid among us. Perhaps encourage the discouraged. God's calling us, all of us, to help the weak. Likely he means those who are ill, those without strength, but also perhaps those who are spiritually weak too. 
And it's calling us to great patience, to be patient with them all, to be long-suffering, to be long-enduring. Patience with one another in a church is a beautiful thing to see. Again, I know these things happen among us. We rally when people get sick, meals are cooked, ob jobs are done, people encourage each other over coffee at morning tea time. Don't just race off when church finishes. Church doesn't stop when we say amen at the end. It keeps going over morning tea. So stick around and admonish and encourage and help and show patience. Keep doing these things because this is what church relationships look like. Being part of a church, being part of Salt Church, isn't just sitting in the same building as someone else for an hour each week. Being part of this church, being part of a church, is is doing these things and caring genuinely for one another. We do all these things as we live together in the light of the coming of Jesus. Friends, this is how we are going to be kept blameless at his coming. So let me gently encourage you, friends, to do these things more and more. Another way in which we are kept is in our prayer. Uh, Don't read these next few verses uh, and kind of feel guilt-ridden, but let's read it as Paul intended, an encouragement for us. Verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's that funny phrase again, the will of God. What is God's will for your life? It's a question, it's a kind of phrase that invokes a lot of navel gazing. What does God want to do with my life? Should I pursue this career or that? Should I take that job or move to that place? Should I date that girl or marry that guy? Should I have kids? Where should I live? What is God's will for me? Friends, God's will is that you give thanks. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Give thanks in all circumstances. Thankful to God for what he's done for us. Thankful for the gospel. Thankful that he has saved us. Thankful when we realise that we don't deserve to be in relationship with God, but he's shown us grace. He's shown us undeserved kindness. That's God's will for us. There are two mentions of God's will, that funny little phrase in this letter. Remember back in chapter 4, verse 3, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. God wants us to be set apart. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be sanctified. And here in chapter 5, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. Put those two things together. Jesus is going to return. How does God want us to live? He wants us to have holy lives and thankful lives. A life lived in a simple response to the gospel. I think that's why verse 15 is there. We skipped over it a few minutes ago. But look at it now. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. At one level, that's a great way for all of us to be in relationship with one another. Not repaying evil, but seeking to do good. That seems right and a good thing for any community to be like. 
But it's also a little reminder, isn't it, of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. Because when we are honest with ourselves, we can acknowledge that we were once evil towards God. We weren't just neutral. We were in hostile rebellion against him. And how did God treat us? Well, he didn't repay evil for evil, but he sent the Lord Jesus to die for us. God was actually seeking the good for us. He was bringing us back into a relationship with himself. He was reconciling us to himself in Jesus. And friends, if all of that is true, what God has done for us, how should we respond? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's hard to be a Christian and grit your teeth at the same time. Christians rejoice because God has treated us so much more, so much better than we deserved. He hasn't paid us with evil, but he's done good to us. So, of course, we ought to pray without ceasing. He doesn't mean, you know, pray all the time with never stopping. It means don't give up on praying. Keep remembering that God is for you, not against you. And if that's true, friends, keep praying. Do you want to be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus? God's calling us to keep rejoicing, keep praying, keep giving thanks. God has done great things for us. He will continue to do great things for us. And when the Lord Jesus returns, we will find such sweet salvation in him but again friends we don't live this life alone not only has god given us each other god has given us his spirit his spirit who dwells within us and so paul wants us to be kept in the spirit verse 19 do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything hold fast to what is good and abstain from any form of evil now, quench the Spirit's a bit of an odd phrase, but think about how Paul has referred to the Spirit throughout the whole letter. In chapter 1, verse 5, he talked about the gospel coming to the Thessalonians in power and with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 6, they had great joy from the hearing of the gospel, and it was the joy of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 8, talked about anyone rejecting the teachings of this letter, in particular, rejecting the need to live a holy life. And Paul said that that is rejecting not man but God, God who gives his Holy Spirit. And in the next book, into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says that the sanctifying work of the Spirit is linked with belief in the truth of the gospel. So how do we go about quenching the Spirit? I take it it's when we refuse to do God's will for us in Christ Jesus. I wonder if we can see the flow here. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. See, God's gospel has come to us by his spirit in response to everything that he's done for us. God wants holy lives and thankful lives. But when we're not holy, when we're not thankful, that's quenching the spirit. And he goes on to say, When we quench the spirit, verse 20, 
we despise prophecy. When we quench the spirit, when we look down on, when we despise anyone who speaks among us God's word, when we treat the truth of the gospel with contempt. As we've heard over the last couple of weeks, encourage one another with these words. When we do the opposite of that, I take it, that's despising God's words. That's despising prophecies. See, we are kept in the spirit. The spirit's present among us reminds us that God is doing a great work here. So abstain from evil and hold on to the good. And finally, verse 25. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Here at Salt Church, a nice firm handshake will do. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so Paul ends this letter praying again that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What a, what a great way to end. He's reminding us that all of life is about grace, that Jesus has shown us undeserved kindness and mercy, that even though we deserve death, he gives us life. That's how we're to be kept. We are kept by grace. God keeps us because of Jesus. Not because of our performance, not because of our religious observance. God doesn't keep us because we are perfect, but because of grace. Right back in chapter 1 when we started all those weeks ago in this series, the letter of 1 Thessalonians started with these words, chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace to you and peace and then the letter closes with the words the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you see friends we start with grace and we end with grace we need not fear the coming of the lord jesus because of grace we press on in the christian life we hang in there because of grace We live holy lives because of grace. We are kept blameless because of grace. Isn't that a great place to end our time in this letter? Let's pray, friends, about all of this. Our great God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace. You're a God of mercy. You're a God of undeserved kindness. Father, we thank you for the way that you keep us blameless in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Father, help us to live well in these days. Help us to live holy lives, thankful lives, lives that are in step with your spirit. Father, help us to respect those who work among us, who are over us, who admonish us. Help us to esteem them and help us to be at peace with them 
for the hard work they're doing here at Salt Church, helping us. Father, help us as well to play our part. Help us to see the responsibility that we all have to admonish each other, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. And Father, help us to be patient with everyone. And Father, because you're a God of grace and mercy, help us to rejoice always, to not give up on praying, to keep giving you thanks for all that you've done for us. Father, we thank you that because you're a God of grace, you're a God of peace. And so, Father, please be with us as we seek to grow as disciples of Jesus, as we seek to mature ourselves, as you mature us until the coming of the Lord Jesus. Father, we know that you are faithful and so that we know you will surely do it. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.